Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Towards Stockholm Plus 50. This podcast is part of a short series produced to mark Stockholm Plus 50, 50 years since the Stockholm Conference of 1972. Each episode interviews an expert in environmental policy and diplomacy about how we can collectively achieve the implementation of environmental policies and build a greener and fairer future. So hi, I'm here with John Scanlon. And so hi, John. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. And do you mind quickly introducing yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, so at the moment, I'm fulfilling many different roles, uh, including as chair of the Global Initiative to End Wildlife Crime. But uh, in previous roles, I've served as Secretary General of CITES. That's the convention that regulates wildlife trade. I was principal advisor with UN Environment Program in Nairobi, Kenya. I worked with IUCN in Bonn, Germany. But I started my career back in Australia, where I started life in private legal practice and went on to work with ministers um, and ended up running a, a large government agency, the Department for Environment, Heritage and Aboriginal Affairs, before launching on an international career. Brilliant. Thank you. And today we're going to be talking a bit about your upcoming webinar as part of the Towards Stockholm Plus 50 legacy webinars uh, on connecting the dots, making a forceful canon of the Rio Conventions and the multilateral environmental agreements. So we had a couple of questions uh, just to give a teaser of what you're going to be discussing in the webinar. So firstly, I'm going to jump straight in. I would love to know, there's more than 1,000 different environmental, multilateral environmental agreements. That's a mouthful. And surprisingly, most of them seem to work. Should they be better coordinated and more aligned to UNEP's overall working programs? Great. Now, let me start by challenging some of the assumptions in that question. So first, we talk about a 1,000 multilateral environmental agreements. I don't know if that's right. It may be less, maybe more. But there we're actually including a whole lot of agreements that are regional, sub-regional, as well as global. So agreements like river basin agreements. If you want to look at those global agreements, those that have universal or near universal membership, we're probably looking at closer to about 20. So I think when we talk about the landscape of agreements, we have to disaggregate a little bit from bilateral, sub-regional, regional and global now, have they all worked? I, I challenge that. Uh, I would say we need a, 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 an important or a, a vital body of international environmental law. I'm not sure that it's all worked. I think some agreements have worked better than others. Uh, some are still a work in progress, but I'd say we need them. If we look at the Convention on Biological Diversity, for example, it set targets for 2010 and 2020. We haven't met those targets. So we failed to meet the targets we set for ourselves. Nonetheless, it's a very important agreement and we have made progress as a result of having an agreement. In the absence of it, we wouldn't have even had a target. We wouldn't have known what we're aiming for. So I would say that we've got a good, powerful body of international environmental law, um, but we're struggling with implementation. Um, and that's where we really need to focus our efforts. Should it be aligned to UNEP's program of work? Well, I, I'm not quite sure about that. I, I do think that what we need to do is to have a much greater focus on the programmatic aspects of these conventions. So how do you get programmatic alignment? How do you align financing? But in terms of whether or not that is done under UNEP's program of work, I'd say I'm not quite sure about that. That's something we're gonna discuss during uh, the event we're having uh, in coming months. Thank you. And the second question for you is, the Rio conference in 1992 gave us Agenda 21, 
three conventions, one on climate, one on biodiversity, and one on desertification, in addition to a set of environmentally sound forest principles. UNEP is not the headquarters of any of these. Does that weaken UNEP's position as the preeminent global environmental organization? And if not, why? Yeah, I think it's great we're going from Stockholm to Rio. I was actually fortunate enough to be in Stockholm in 1972, but I was a very little boy visiting my grandparents there. I was also in Rio in 1992, uh, actually staying with my cousins who uh, are based in Rio. But these two events are very important. The outcomes of Rio 1992 were significant. Um, We've still got a long way to go in dealing with biodiversity, climate and certification, but we are starting to see greater convergence between these conventions and a recognition of the interplay between the three of them. Now, you say that uh, none of them are headquartered in UNIT. Well, I challenge that because uh, the UNIT Environment Program is a global program and it has offices right across the globe. It's headquartered in Nairobi, Kenya, but it has offices uh, at a regional level everywhere, basically. And the Convention on Biological Diversity is, in fact, administered by the UN Environment Programme, but it's based out of Montreal, Canada. So it is based, if you like, or nestled uh, within UNEP, but it's not located within UNEP headquarters in Nairobi. Now, then we've got the Climate Change Convention and Desertification. They're both based in Bonn, Germany. Neither of them are administered by the UN Environment Programme. They're administered through the UN Secretariat directly. Now, if we look at all the multilateral environment agreements, in particular the the global ones, they're located everywhere and they're administered by a whole lot of organisations. World Heritage uh, Convention is based out of Paris and it's administered by UNESCO. Um, We've got the Ramsar Convention, which is the Convention on International Wetlands. It's administered by IUCN that's based in Blanc in Switzerland, and I could go on. So we've got a bit of a disaggregated landscape here. Would it be advantageous to have them all headquartered in UNEP in Kenya? I think the the, the egg has already been been cracked. You can't unscramble it. Um, I think we have what we have. We have a a lot of agreements. They're administered by a lot of different organisations and they're headquartered in a lot of different places. So I think we've got to get away from an obsession of issues to do with administration, issues to do with location, and start thinking about what is it that these conventions are actually trying to achieve And how do we achieve some programmatic coherence when it comes to implementing uh, what we're trying to achieve in the field? So perhaps if we were starting ground zero and we invented everything from the start again, uh, we might have done things differently, but we have what we have. Let's uh, see what we can do to make the best of it. And I don't think we should get too obsessed about location and who's administering who. And last question. How can UNEP play a role in coordinating these conventions, the multilateral environmental agreements and rights-based issues? Or should UNEP not have that role? Yeah, so UNEP, I'm a big fan of UNEP, the UN Environment Programme. It is the um, uh, programme that has been established by the UN General Assembly as the lead on environment. It does have a coordinating function. We do want to have a, a strong anchor institution within the UN that is addressing all these issues. But if we think about it, um, looking at multilateral environmental agreements, we have to broaden our scope a little bit as well, because you have to look at how they're interacting, for example, with human rights agreements. You have to look at how they're interacting with agreements to deal with corruption and transnational organised crime. We need to see how they're interacting with agreements to do with trade. 
So you have the multilateral agreements and you have a whole suite of other agreements and we have to look at how they all come together. Now, with respect to the role of UNEP, I would say what it can do is ensure that it is convening agreements. If we just focus now for the multilateral environmental agreements, it is convening them, no matter who they're administered by, bring them together, talk about what they're doing, look at where there is crossover, look at where there can be programmatic coherence, look at the whole issue of financing. I do think UNEP has a unique role there. I don't think anyone else can play that role. No convention individually can do that, nor does any other organisation with the UN have the mandate to do that. So I think it can convene. I think at the moment UNEP has been a little bit too um, uh, concerned about administration and who is administering what particular agreement. I don't think that's a comparative advantage for UNEP. I think its comparative advantage is dealing with programmatic issues, programmatic coherence, and uh, supporting states in uh, actually implementing uh, these agreements, as well as negotiating new agreements. We're going to have a new one uh, in the coming years on uh, plastic pollution. Uh, So the number of uh, agreements is not static. It is continuing to grow. But I do think UNEP has a clear and uh, fundamental role to play when it comes to convening, um, to achieving programmatic coherence, Uh, But I think we need to move away from being too obsessed about uh, who's administering the agreements and where they may happen to be located. So there's a lot to discuss here, but this is actually the end of our podcast. The podcast is intended to give just a preview of what we're going to be discussing. Now, I believe that your webinar is scheduled for the 2nd of May uh, in the afternoon, 4 p.m. Central European time. And you can find all the details on the webinar on our website uh, towards stockholm50.org. We will also be uploading information on how you can register closer to the time. And this will also be uh, sent out in emails to anyone who has subscribed to the stakeholder forum. So thank you again, John, for taking this time to talk. And I'm looking forward to seeing you on the second. Thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to seeing you and as many colleagues as possible. Join us on the second for a rich and robust discussion. Whether you agree or disagree with me, join the discussion and uh, very much looking forward to it.